I'm going to do a session now on the elements of the core self. The idea of this session is to get deeper into the practice and the understanding of how to work in this approach. So in this session, at least if we cover it all in one session, we may have to split it up, but I'm aiming in this session to cover the elements of the core self, the difference between the core self and the parts, how to communicate better with your parts, always a useful thing, and how to identify exiled parts. I think these are some of the questions I get most when I'm introducing this method uh, to people. So let's start. Uh, the first thing I want to cover is the idea that everyone has a core self and what we mean by that. So let's make a start. What, does, what do we mean by your core self? Um, different therapies have different ways of talking about this. Um, in some therapies, it's called your going on with normal life self, which is a bit long-winded. Um, the, the shorthand is simply this. It's your grown-up bit. It's your adult self. That, that's the simplest way of understanding it. And the way it makes sense is, is on a number of levels. First of all, it is your most grown-up bit. So, you know, it's reasonable. Secondly, it is the only part of you that's exactly as old as you are now. In other words, every other part of you is slightly younger than that. So in that sense, it's also adult. Where it's a little bit misleading to call it your grown-up bit or your adult is that in the testing that's been done, this core self is found to be present not only just across cultures and genders, uh, but also, and religions, of course, and, and different belief systems, but also ages. So people have been tested down as young as three years of age and been found to have this core self. So a three-year-old doesn't really have an adult self, in a way. <laughs> so sort of confusing. Um, in a, to call it your core self, I think, is... It sounds a little bit technical, but it, it is helpful in the sense that it's more about the heart of you or the centre of you than it is about your age. Because everyone has that. Everyone has a core or a centre or a heart. And of course, when we talk about heart, we mean it more in the Christian sense of heart, uh, as, as, as they would use it or as Jesus would talk about it when he said it's at the heart of you. He doesn't mean an emotional thing. We're not talking, when we talk about the heart of you, we're not talking about your kind of, uh, you know, in a pop music kind of sense of your emotional heart. We're talking about your true centre. So when we talk about your core self, it's, it's about the very heart of you. It's, it's, in other words, it's what's most authentically, most genuinely you, which goes even deeper than your brain. You know, it's your mind, it's your consciousness, it's your personality, it's what's truly you. So, I, I, you know, I don't know whether that really helped or not. Um, the shorthand is definitely your adult self, your adult, we call it sometimes, just like shorthand in, shorthand in treatment centres is, uh, for parts, is your addict. You know, in treatment centres, you'll often hear that kind of phrase, 
oh, my addict this or my addict that. Or, in you know, going back a few years, we would have said you're king baby or your inner child this or your inner child that. So core self is what I would generally call it. Uh, if somebody starts to call it their adult, I'll go along with that. Now, what are we saying differently than traditional views about this idea of a core self or consciousness? Well, the first thing is that we don't need to achieve it. It's not something that some people have and some people don't. It's not something that you have to sort of um, learn about or, you know, as such, you know, write, read books or uh, go, you know, do exams or take a pill or anything. You, you've already got it. And I think this is huge in the sense that um, we often come into therapy or some sort of treatment with the idea that we're lacking or that something's missing or that we're somehow unwell um, or that we've got some kind of a weird disease or something. Now, that's the medical model. Absolutely, that's the medical model influencing the way we see the human condition. There must be something wrong with me. There must be bits missing or something. What we're saying here is you don't need to achieve it. You've already got it. In fact, this whole approach is based on the idea that you've already got everything you need. We need to access it more. And that would be the next point, is that accessing your core self is not automatic, especially in triggered moments or difficult moments. The, the idea that you uh, have to practice accessing, the idea that you have to negotiate with the parts, the idea that you have to get parts to trust you, the idea that it's different to think about accessing than it is to think about achieving. Sometimes when we achieve something, we get something that we haven't already got. But when we access something, we get in touch with something that we already have. It's a very different uh, approach if you can get your head around that. So everyone has a core self. And I often, when, when clients first come in, and I, I'd want you to do this yourself if you haven't, uh, if you're not one of my clients, and you've never really worked with this before, I'd want to test you, you to test this the same way. I will, I will say to a client, look, you're in charge of yourself now. Your core self is running your life right now as we're talking. It's very, very common, very, very um, uh, typical of your, your situation. Um, even people who are strongly addicted and out of control spend most of their time in their core state. And what we mean by that is that your, your consciousness, your mind is running your life. You're making choices and your brain is allowing it. So it's, again, this is not something that we have to achieve. We've already got it and you already spend most of your time in it. So um, again, just sit with that for a moment and realize that for most people, certainly the ones that I would deal with on a private level, as a private client, most of those people are spending 70 to 80% of their time in their core state. But this 10 to 15% that they're spending in a triggered state, of course, is extremely problematic. And, you know, it's no small thing, but it's a small percentage. So that's what we're looking to achieve. We're looking to get that 10 to 15% extra of trust. 
So the next section I would say is that also everyone has parts. Everyone has a core self, but everyone also has parts. Now, why is this? Why, why do some people uh, not have parts and some people do? Some people look as if they don't have parts, but everybody does. And what that means is this. It means your brain is actively looking out for you. It has a job to do, or at least this part of the brain that we talk about certainly has a job to do. And it looks out for you, whether, as we probably are, are aware of fight and flight and those things, we would also understand that life teaches us things. We all have problems uh, and, and issues and events, difficult events that we went through. And these tend to leave our brain um, with a, a stored event. This is the basis of trauma therapy, is that your brain stores this thing and then looks out for something that looks similar to it. And so your brain is forever looking out for these danger moments. And what it's saying is, what it often does is, when it sees a danger moment approaching, because it looks much further down the road than you generally do in your consciousness, it will look down the road and it will effectively say this, if we carry on down this road, then this unacceptable thing is going to happen. And what do we mean by unacceptable thing? We mean that thing that looks like the event that you have trained it or life has trained it must never happen. So the event is there in the back of the brain and it sees something down the road that says, if we don't get him off this road, then basically this thing's going to happen again. So this is why it's so tricky, uh, particularly with conventional approaches, to understand what's going on in these moments. Why do I suddenly get these compulsive thoughts to use drugs or to gamble or whatever it is, and it just seems to come from nowhere? Well, it comes from your brain, and your brain is getting you off this road, and it's getting you onto what it sees as a much safer road. Why is it safer? Well, because you've trained it that it's safe and no other reason. So why is it so tricky? Well, because effectively the thing that your brain is guarding against never happens. Ultimately, it never happens. It's, you know, it's very easy to see the trauma as the difficulty. It's very easy to see the triggered moment as the difficulty. But that's not actually the difficulty that your brain is guarding against. The, brain, the difficulty it's guarding against never happens. And what does that say? It says something about how brilliantly your brain protects you because it makes sure that it does never happen. The problem with that is that you never see the actual problem because your brain prevents it. And so we have a, th a saying in this approach. We say the thing is never the thing, right? The thing is never the thing. So the, the, the reason people come into counselling or treatment, which is maybe they, they're, all, they're drinking too much or they take drugs, they're addicted to pornography or gambling or workaholism, whatever it is, that is not the thing. It's certainly not the thing your brain's guarding against. And unless we unwrap that, unless we get to that, then you'll never effectively uh, be free of it. So this is why everyone has parts. So again, let me stress, as I've done probably many times, that this is not a mental illness. The fact that you have parts 
is good evidence that your brain is working really well not that there's something wrong with you and i think again the medical model has a lot to answer for here it's evidence that you have an incredibly fantastic piece of machinery <laughs> the most complex thing in the universe is right between your ears and it works brilliantly so it's not a mental illness right the next thing to understand is in a sense even better not only is it not a mental illness but your brain is just trying to help you in doing this it's not trying to trip you up it's not trying to ruin your life it's not trying to put a spanner in the works and it's not a mental illness as i say it's simply trying to help you but it only has one way of helping you this is the problem it's very basic and so how does it help you by giving you a better career by steering you into a better relationship by uh, helping you earn more money uh, no it's not helping you in any of those ways. None of the ways that your mind would like to help you or you'd like to help yourself, as it were. Uh, your brain's not doing any of these things. It's not saying, oh, well, this relationship will be great or, you know, you'll have a better job if you do this or something. It's simply trying to keep you safe. And we must understand this in order to make progress. If you understand that it's just trying to get you safe, uh, because it's trying to help you, you've already made a lot of progress. If you understand that, that what it means by safety is, ex is in itself a very limited concept, then you've made even more process, uh, progress. What do we mean by limited? We mean that its idea of safety is only what you have trained it, generally speaking. So if you've been you know, smoking weed for 15 years, your brain is going to think of that as your safety because you, that's what you've trained it is safe. That's what you keep doing. Or if you keep chasing new relationships and one night stands, that's what it will have you doing because that will be your security. That's what will make you feel safe. And that's what your brain will put through your imagination into your mind. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, relationships, pornography, gambling, work, whatever it is that you have trained your brain to think of as your safety, that's what it will lead you back to. So it's not a mental illness. It's just trying to help you. It only tries to help you by keeping you safe and it only thinks of safety as what you have trained it. So I hope you got all of those points and would consider thinking about those more in, based on your own experience. The final thing to say about everyone having parts is that, of course, because of this simplicity and this basic idea of safety, the parts often get it wrong. In other words, they never make really good decisions. They just make emergency decisions. And so when it comes to long term, anything longer than, you know, a couple of hours, probably, um, it starts to look like a disaster. And that's why people come into treatment, you know, is because the brain is now leading them into these safe areas that actually become worse than the problem. In fact, the problem that your brain is trying to avoid, which of course you never see because it, uh, it avoids it so well, is probably so far out of date that if you could see the problem itself, you'd probably laugh. I'm being serious now. If you could see what your brain's actually protecting you from, you'd probably laugh because 
it's quite possibly, in fact, it's probably something that might have threatened you at three or five or seven or nine years of age or, or uh, you know, teenagers or something, but would not be a threat to you right now. It wouldn't be a threat to you at all. And yet your brain has stored it, prevents it from happening by all kinds of things that start to muck up your life. So that's why it all starts to go wrong. And that's why um, we understand treatment is necessary and understanding is necessary. So what have we covered so far? Everyone has a core self and everyone has parts. Now we're going to look at the elements now of the core self. What, what do we understand it to be? When we talk about it being your heart or your core or the very essence of you, who you really are, and, and the fact you already have this automatically. We need some more terms of reference. And uh, the IFS approach has given us those through many, many uh, thousands of hours of testing and many thousands of people. Um, they've come up with these eight ideas, eight resources, we might call them, uh, which they've cleverly kind of marked down as words beginning with C. Um, and these eight ideas, these eight resources, basically encapsulate the resources of the self. I'll just go through them quickly and then we'll go through them maybe one at a time. So if you've worked with me uh, already, you, you must already know these words, but we'll go through them one at a time. So calm, clear, curious, creative, confident, courageous, connected, and compassionate. Those are what we call the eight resources of the self. In other words, when you're in your core state, you should be feeling all of those. You should be feeling um, and identifying with all of those things. Again, when, when my client sits down with me, I'll go through those eight and I'll show them that they are feeling all those eight uh, right now as they sit and talk with me. So I'll go through them one at a time now um, because they do need to be understood a little bit more. And for those of you who've done more kind of traditional counselling, I'll give you a few kind of um, equivalences in traditional terms. So when we say calm, right, the best way to understand this idea is through the traditional idea of regulation having this bandwidth of, of self-regulation. In other words, that you, you calm yourself. You, you have your heartbeat and your breathing and your pulse and all everything else uh, within a certain bandwidth of, of, of reasonable calmness. We used to call it self-regulating um, when you go out of that bandwidth too high or too you know, excitable, uh, we call that hyper. And when we go out of the bandwidth, uh, through the bottom of that, we call it hypo, when you become you know, depressed or flat or so on. But staying within that bandwidth, we would call ourselves calm. And one of the things we need to know when we look at the core self in terms of these resources is to look at the opposite. So the opposite of calm, it would be panic or something similar. You'll write down your own word, but I want you to make these two lists. The first one on the left would be the resources list and the second one on the right would be the opposites. In other words, when you're triggered, think of it as when you're triggered, you will feel uh, these opposites. 
So when we talk about exiling parts, it's also really important to understand that we, we exile some of the resources. And when we do so, we will generally feel their opposite, of course. So what do we mean by exiling a quick... Uh, there are other podcasts on all of this stuff, but uh, just briefly, just to say exiling is when you learn through life's experience, uh, dysfunction in the family, traumatic events, whatever happens in life, you learn that you must not be a certain way. So let's say, for instance, you know, as a child, you were generally calm and then something happened that led you to believe that calm was a bad idea. You know, something really bad happened or, you know, you were generally being criticised or abused around the idea you're too calm, you know, you're not trying hard enough or so, you know, some kind of criticism. Some event that said calmness is not good. Then your brain then stores that and uh, you can, of course, then what we call exile that part of you. In other words, what you're saying is that you, you want your brain to watch out for calmness. And so, of course, the thing is never the thing. So what happens is your brain sees all kinds of things uh, that you're doing during the day and says, if we carry on doing this, he's going to get calm. And so let's get him on a different road. Let's get him worrying about something. Let's get him anxious about something. So you can see how it might start to work. Where if you've exiled calmness, you're basically saying, and it's the same thing with all of these resources, you're saying, when I am calm, bad things happen. That's basically what you what you're that's the philosophy you've given to your brain. In other words, exile calmness. In other words, brain, watch out for calmness and never ever let him come back. That's the uh, basically the the essential idea of, of exiling. So, calm would be one of the resources. The next one would be clear or clarity, if you like. And again, we're talking about regulation here in the sense that when you're clear about things, you know, you're in a conversation, you're clear that uh, what's being said and the meaning that's being made and so on, that, that would add to your calmness. Um, the opposite, the thing to put on the other list would be confused. Uh, you know, when you're triggered, you might feel confused and not clear about what's going on. A lot of people feel this as, um, as part of being on the spectrum or what we might call learning difficulties. Um, a, a lot of more traditional type of um, uh, conditions will experience this kind of thing. In, in our approach, we, we see it as a, uh, either an exiled uh, clarity part or uh, a triggered moment. Uh, and again, when I am clear, bad things happen. So, you know, you can see how if you've exiled that, you, you know, you're going to spend most of your time in confusion. The only other thing I would say about clarity um, is that it's not to be confused with certainty. You know, you might say, oh, I'm clear about what I have to do. But it's not about that certainty of action. Clarity is more about I can see what's happening. So the next one would be curious, um, which again, it has to begin with C, but I'd rather you thought about this as open-minded because uh, curious has other connotations of being like unusual, a curiosity, you know. Uh, but is it, what it means is the more uh, basic meaning of curious or open-minded. Uh, 
So what it's, what it's saying is that when you're in your core state, you'll approach a conversation, a relationship, a meeting, an event, a day, with an open-minded sense of what might happen, right? So the opposite of that is certain or certainty or uh, being, you know, having an agenda. And, and to realize that your parts being the opposite, when you're triggered and, or you've, you, you know, you've lost your curiosity, you will experience it as a sense of agenda, like a sense of, I know what needs to happen and it needs to happen now. You know, the parts always have an agenda. So again, the reasons for exiling, you know, you've had an experience when I am unsure, um, uh, bad things happen. You know, when I'm open-minded, bad things happen. Like, for instance, you can easily see how this could happen. You know, people get into relationships as youngsters and they're very kind of open-minded, you know, trusting and so on. And then people abuse them and take the make and lie to them and so on. And then, so what do they learn? They learn when, when I'm unsure, bad things happen. So the next one, uh, creative. Uh, I want you to think of this as having lots of options, you know, feeling like there's, there's all kinds of things that you could do at this time, have lots of choices. The opposite, of course, then being uh, dogmatic or having this agenda that we talk about, you know, there's only one way. Um, so again, when your creativity drops out or if you exile it, you will, you will be quite controlling. You, you can see the controlling element here of there's only one way to do it and that's how we have to do it. Um, so again, reasons for exiling that part, when I'm undecided, bad things happen. You know, so that therefore the part comes up and, and gives you a strong agenda. It's my way or the highway. You know, you can see that control element. Confident is the next one. Um, what is the state of confidence? How is it in your core state? Well, it's a general belief that good things will happen. That's confidence. And it's opposite. Again, make your own word up. What's up? What, what happens when your confidence drops out? Well, I would say anxious. Uh, but you can use your own word. Um, the idea that you might exile uh, your confidence or you might lose your confidence in a triggered moment uh, is that when I am confident, bad things happen. Or when I am positive, you might say, bad things happen. You know, you see a lot of people, particularly in addiction, you know, who will be forever negative. You know, nothing good ever happens to me, you know. And they, they don't realize at the time, but you know, for them, there's a lot of security in that belief because what's happened is they've exiled their confidence. They've said, brain, don't ever let confidence show up again because in my life, whenever I've been confident, terrible things have happened. So moving on, courageous is the next one, which we, by which we mean brave, you know? The idea that I can make uh, tough choices, that I can be resilient, that I can manage myself in difficult situations, that I trust myself, you know, brave, courageous has all kinds of connotations there. Now its opposite of course is to be frightened or living in fear and again you can see lots of people who either have strongly triggered this way, you know every little thing seems to be a disaster, um, you know, they're so out of proportion every time anything even looks like it's going to go wrong or they hang on to every bit of bad news coming out of the news at six or something. You see this all the time. 
where people live in fear and again creates a lot of safety or security for themselves in this. So the reasons for exiling this would be, you know, when I'm frightened, bad things happen. Um, uh, sorry, that should be the other way around, of course. When I am brave, when I'm courageous, bad things happen. Or, you know, when I'm positive, bad things happen. So again, you'll see this in two ways, either an exile part, so it, so it never happens, or as a triggered moment, which is, can be very strong. The next one is connected, and we're getting to the really deep ones now. I think the last two that I mentioned here are the deepest, probably. So connected means present, and by present we mean present in the living world. You know I have this huge metaphor around the living world and the dead world. And so connected means connected with living things, not connected with dead things, which I would call disconnected, which of course is its opposite. So there's lots of therapy that talks about being present or mindful. And I think this is the connection we should make here. That when are you exiting? You know, a lot of people in early recovery, you know, they've they've given up the alcohol or the drugs or whatever, but they're still exiting in huge ways. Not through drugs necessarily, but just not by being by being not present in the moment, by exiting from the relationship. And this is where we can learn a lot from indirect and direct communication and so on. Uh, you can see all of this on the website and the podcast. So its opposite is disconnected. In other words, we're moving. When, when, when we exile our connectivity, we live in the dead world. And you can see this a lot in things like workaholism, obviously drug addiction, where someone is just not there. They're, they're just exited pretty much all of the time. You know, uh, you see this, um, there's, there's a, a moment in, in the film Click. I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but... Uh, He's, he finds out that his, his father has died and his first response is, yeah, but I just have to deal with these emails, you know. He, he, he's so disconnected that he genu genuinely thinks of these business emails as being more important than that loss. So um, the reasons for exiling, you know, bad things happen in the living world, you know, we know how challenging the living world is. You know, everything's moving, everything's challenging, everything's risk. And so, you know, it's very easy to be traumatized, very easy to get the idea that bad things happen when you enter the living world. And the final one, compassionate. Well, what do we mean by compassionate? Well, we mean caring. We mean caring for living things and having a sense of empathy or an understanding of someone's suffering. Uh, the opposite, of course, would be something like cold, uh, heartless, whatever. And the reasons for exiling this is very simple to see, which is that when I occur, bad things happen. You know, we've, when we've been hurt because we occur, we can develop, uh, you know, or exile this compassionate part. And we see it all the time. Someone who seems to have no feeling at all, uh, no understanding when someone is suffering or that they're causing suffering. And so we've got this cold person who traditionally wants to go into all kinds of therapy. But in this approach, we say they've exiled the compassionate resource. 
So that's a, a run through of the component parts, the, uh, the, the, the encapsulation of the core self resources. And of course, the idea that we can exile them. Now, so there's two ways in which we lose or these core resources drop out. Or another way of saying it is there's two main ways that parts show up, same thing. The first one is that when you're threatened, you're triggered, what we call a hard triggering, when you, you know, it's a very strong chemical reaction, you immediately start talking and thinking differently and you probably start acting differently. These is what we call hard triggering. And the, the second time is when you're right brain dominant or when um, your left brain is going to sleep. And uh, again, you can find out all about that on, on the blog and the podcast uh, where I've, I go into that in more depth. Uh, but this is more like what we call a soft triggering, this second thing. So basically there's hard triggering, the soft triggering. Um, the soft triggering is more to do with the exiling. So when we talk about exiling, uh, you know, if the, if the part, the, the resource is exiled, then of course you're going to be soft triggered most of the time. Now this, this is a very difficult or challenging idea to get hold of. But I've worked with people um, and had a lot of success working with people, helping them understand that they've spent years in these triggered parts. Not 24-7, but say, for instance, every time you go to work or every time you deal with people, you know. Uh, soft triggering isn't always as noticeable as hard triggering by its nature. And so you can't, you can sometimes just not realise you're in a triggered state. And of course, after months and years of it and decades of it in some cases, you th actually think it's you. You, you, you'll be more likely to think of this triggered state as you than your real self because you spend so little time in your core state. So then treatment becomes about recognizing your core state and uh, learning to spend more time in it. And of course, it's all about trust. It's all about getting your brain to trust you. The hard triggering, the first instance, is much more easy to see generally because you can't really mistake it. It's huge. Um, so, you know, the question you're asking here uh, that we'll finish on today is when we notice core elements dropping out, um, what is, which, which is it? Is it A or B? You know, do, do you notice them dropping out during triggered moments only? Or do they seem always absent? What I want you to do is I want you to check those, uh, make lists of those eight uh, core resources. Make a list and then when you're in a, a nice calm state, uh, you know, and, and there's not much going on, take a, 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 a time to, to draw aside and to ask yourself, even in my calm state now, which I would identify, I'm regulated, I'm perfectly calm. Can I identify with all of these eight? There's a lot of clients that I talk to who say, you know, I'm, I'm not confident. You know, like I'm never confident. Do you know, even in my calm state, like, or even in my calm state, I'm not open-minded. I always have a clear idea about, a certain idea about what, what I should do next or what I have to do next or what must happen next 
or even in my calm state, I'm still quite cold. You know, so what this is saying is that you're basically soft triggered. In other words, you've exiled a part and you've said uh, that part must never show up. Or if you sit down and look at these, um, spend some time looking at these core resources and you say, no, when I'm calm, I can identify with all of these. But when this happens or that happens or this event goes on and I'm hard triggered, then they all drop out or, you know, six or seven of them drop out and I can't, I can't seem to get them back. You know, I, 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 that's when I use my drugs or that's when I um, go off into another disastrous relationship or whatever it is you do. Now, obviously we need to go on from that into the practice. Uh, I've, you've, you'll see there's other podcasts about the observer position and how we, how we start to work with this idea and this wonderful uh, thing that neuroscience has shown us that uh, we all have a core self, we all have parts. And once we understand the multifaceted nature of the human condition, then we can start to work with our addictions and dependencies much more effectively. But for now, I just want to leave you with those thoughts and to leave you with this question of what is the right approach for me? Am I exiling a part, in which case I'm soft triggered all the time, or am I just triggered by very traumatic things that at least I've trained my brain are very threatening? And once you've got to that point, then you can start to look at method and how to go forwards.